Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to know what you want to show us today and teach us. May we be diligent to have faith and trust in your promise. May our faith be exemplified in our belief and faith in your promises and your word, Father. As we see in the stories here of our portions, you're showing us, Father, what this faith looks like and what disbelief looks like. Father, help us to see. May we grow in you, Father, as you teach us each week. Amen. So, again, we are in Numbers chapter 13. And I want to say welcome to everybody online. Welcome everybody here. We're glad you're here to fellowship with us, to study and to learn. And so we're going to dig in. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about faith. What faith, we're gonna, I know we've talked about faith before, but I need to remind you what the lexicons and the dictionary say faith is based on the Hebrew and the Greek word. Rafi touched on faith in his in-depth studies also. So obviously Abba wants us to get this faith and what, we're, what is it we're believing in? What, are, what is our faith and our belief rooted in? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, this idea of faith, how it worked out in our story in the, in the Torah portion, uh, how it plays out in our prophet portion, and what Paul says about it in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's get moving forward. First of all, we need to see that there's a promise that takes place here. And the promise is, and Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, send the men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Is that a promise? I think he said, I am. So he's going to give it to them. Now they've already seen him deliver. They've seen his mighty arm. They've seen the, how he delivered them out of Egypt. He's, he's demonstrated that ability to do that and that he's faithful to keep the promise. So he's made the promise. Are they going to believe in the promise? Are they going to believe in the word? So they send them out. He says, send out the spy. The word spy is tour. It's a verb occurring 20 times, meaning search out, spy out. The meaning search out in the context of looking for a place of rest. This is the place he's going to bring them to rest. As he says, after they fail here, he says, you will not enter the rest. So they're looking for a place of rest. Also, our word means to search out in the sense of spy out or undertake a reconnaissance with reference to the land of Canaan and the hands of the Israelites' tribal leaders. The task is said to be undertaken by Yahweh himself in Ezekiel 20, verse 6, and also Judges 1, 23, refers to the searching out of the land. 
Similarly, Yahuwah is said to have searched out a way through the wilderness, through the pillar of cloud. So I want to read to you Ezekiel 20, verse 13. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statute. They rejected my ordinances, by which, if a man observes them, he will live. If a man observes my statutes and my commandments, he'll live. Remember, Yeshua told the man, he says, well, how can I obtain eternal life? He says, keep the commandments. That's in line with what's being said here in Ezekiel 20. My Sabbaths, they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations before whose sight I had brought them out. So I've got a question that's going to carry on through the theme here of what we're going to talk about today. They didn't act faithfully to the words and the promises that he said. Were there consequences? There were. They weren't allowed to enter. They died in the wilderness over 40 years. But did God stop leading them? No. Hmm. Verse 3, And by the command of Yahuwah Moshe, he sent them out from the wilderness of Paran, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Exodus 14, 13 says, And Moshe said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still. You will see the deliverance of Yahuwah, which he does for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you are never ever to see again. Yahuwah does fight for you and keep still. Who does the fighting? He's promising them who's doing the fighting. So here we are. He said, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to do the fighting. They see the giants and they're like, oh my gosh, we can't do it. See, it's a lack of faith. There's no difference than today. Are people going to believe? I think people are misunderstanding what the belief is rooted in. The belief is rooted in the promises and the words and the person who executes those things. Genesis 13, 14 says, And after Lot had separated from him, Yahuwah said to Abram, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I shall give to you and your seed just until before Yeshua comes. Uh, I'm going to, no. I'm going to give them to you until after Yeshua comes, just before he comes the second time. No. When's forever? Even to today and going further? That's the words. We either believe those words or we have lack of faith. That's the promise. The mistake in the wilderness here is they did not believe it evidenced by them being afraid of the giant, being afraid that they couldn't do it. So the promises are here. I want to establish the promise and the words are there. That's where the faith should be rooted in. Verse 17, and Moshe sent them out to spy. The voice read it, so I don't have to go through all of it. You know what it says. But he says something here in verse 20. And whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not, 
be weak. No. That's what they ended up doing was they became weak, but God said be strong. Be strong. We have right to be strong because we have the mighty one of Israel that is with us. Why would we act weak in any way when he is the one that's before us? When his words are on our heart. See, we'll find out right quick if the words of God are written on the heart or not. Because we're going to find out if they're going by letter or by spirit. Letter of the law, spirit of the law. Is it on the heart or is it just some rote thing that these are the things I've got to do? And I'll do it whenever I can, do it when I feel like it, when it's convenient. No, be strong. So they go up through the south, they come to Hebron, to the descendants of Anak, where they were giants in the land. And it says here that Hebron had been built seven years before. How many of you know what Zoan is in Egypt? It's actually um, the place I had talked about that got wiped out. I had this on my tongue, the tip of my tongue. It's um, where I talked about it here the, just weeks ago where this, this field, there's nothing been growing on it for millennia. The, the, the ground is destroyed. Huh? What'd you say? Desolate. And these statues, giant things, had been melted on the east side. They were busted and broken up. And I forget the name of the city. Where do you remember? Huh? No? Anyway, it'll come to me. So anyway, so this city is old. And so Hebron had been built way before this city in Egypt. They came to the wadi of Eshkol, cut down from there a branch of a cluster of grapes. Ward, you've gained some insight about this branch they cut down. You want to share any of that or no? Um, there's some commentaries that talk about this. Uh, one is Gill's exposition of the entire Bible. And they quote some old writers. They say that Strabo said that in here, a vine produced a firkin of wine, and one, one wine firkin is 84 gallons. So that's a lot. So you're saying that this, I mean, all of you have seen pumpkins that were like this big. Normally, you know, pumpkins, but you've seen them like this. You've seen other things that are grown that are way bigger than what they normally are. So what's being said here is the grapes that they're bringing back are very, very heavy grapes. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that Ward found is that the, the poles went this way and this way in order to carry the weight. There was more than two guys carrying the cluster. Yes. I think the name of that Zoan place was Tanis. Yes. Okay. Tanis is correct. The place uh, in, in Egypt is called Tanis. And if you ever get a chance to look at it, it's the field at Tanis, where all this stuff is. You've got to see the pictures of it. It's, it, it just, the archaeologists are stunned that the, the, the ground is just dead. It's been that way for millennia. So whatever hit it, 
whether it was an airburst or the fire from heaven, whatever you want to call it, it, it destroyed the soil where it won't even grow anything there. It's a pretty amazing place. Okay, so big, big cluster of grapes. I wonder if those grapes were that big because they were feeding big people. I don't know. Pretty amazing. They reported him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. Truly it flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. The people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are walled. Very great. We saw the descendants of Anak there too. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. All of them are there. It's fortified to heaven. And Caleb silenced the people before Moshe and said, Let us go. Man, sign me up. Let's get rocking. Let's go take those people out. And the other ten people backed up. And they said, what is he talking about? Boy, there's a separation right here and right now of the faithful and the unfaithful, the believing and the unbelieving. This is going to happen again. God's going to separate not only the rebels, but he's going to separate those who really truly do not, truly do not believe in what he's promised and what he said. If you don't believe in what he's promised and said, you don't believe in him or that he's capable of anything that he said. I want to read you Romans 11.1. 1. I say then, Elohim has not rejected his people, has he? Elohim has not rejected his people, has he? Romans 11.1. 1. May it never be. Amos 2.4 says, Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. In other words, there's going to be consequences because they rejected the Torah of Yahuwah. They rejected it. Don't believe in it. They don't hold faith to what it says. And they have not kept his statutes. Their lies also have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. Jeremiah 7.23 says, But this is what I am commanding them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. Obey my promises and my word that comes out, and I'll be your king. If you just obey, hold faith, trust in what I'm saying. And I will be your people, or you will be my people. And you will walk in all the way in which I command you, that it would be well with you. Yet, they did not obey my voice or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsel and in the stubbornness of their evil heart. They walked backward and not forward. So this Torah portion was paralleled with Hebrews chapter 11 for a reason. There's a reason that they're paralleled, and it's about faith in the promises and the word of Elohim. So the people here in our Torah portion rejected the promise, showing a lack of faith. And you know what? Some in the first century rejected the promise of Yahushua. And you would say, there was a promise there? If I'm rejecting Yahushua, am I rejecting the promise? Yep. Yep. And because they rejected because the wilderness generation rejected the promise, did Yahuwah stop leading them? You guys answered a while ago. No. But there were consequences. Hebrews 11.1 1. 
Now, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who what? Promised is trustworthy and faithful. So this word faith, pistis, is in the Septuagint for imuna, which is faithfulness, several times for emet, truth, and amana, or imuna, faith, conviction of the truth of anything, belief. And in the New Testament, of a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to Elohim and divine things, meaning the things that have come out of his mouth or the things that are from heaven. That's divine things. Generally, with the included idea of trust and holy fervor, born of faith and conjoined with it, that I am so believing in the things that has come out of his mouth, I am unwavering and I know that it is just and true and I will hold fast to it. That, people, is the assurance of things hoped for. But we need to know what assurance is. So faith is something that's the character of one who can be relied on. Can God be relied on? Yes. So the thing, too, about faith is it's not just knowing and believing, but it's walking out as if it already has come to pass. Yes. You know, because when they went in, God is so gracious. The grapes were so big and the fruit was so great because he was visually showing him the promise. Yeah. But their eyes went towards fear. And they operated out of fear rather than operating out of faith when all they had to do was walk in there and they would have fallen down as they walked through. Which is what he told them. Right. And like faith in Aramaic actually means believe. Yes. So when you say, I believe you, you're going to make the steps saying, I believe you. I'm going to walk that out, not after the fact, but before the fact, because I trust you're going to meet me there in the middle. Amen. And so based on what you said, and I hope I don't repeat myself again later. If I believe in what he said, promises and word, then I'm going to do the things that he said to do, then my, my actions confirm my trust and belief and faith in what he said, because I'm going to walk it out. If I have put it aside and I say I'm not going to do it, whether I'm believing in what man said or my parents said or, or the early church said, whatever it is, I'm choosing to believe something other than what came out of his mouth. And that's a lack of faith because I've put something else over his words. We have two hands, so we'll go with this here first. Um, to piggyback off of whoever was speaking last, no. I not only were they lacking faith, they were lacking confidence in God because of the fear that they had. If they were if they were courageous and confident, like how we're supposed to be in our God, things would have turned out a lot different. But you know, we're humans and we have our flaws, and that's why we're here to fix them. So the it is confidence, and that confidence is faith and it is trust. Those things go together. You know, I, I climbed and I repelled for, for quite a few years. 
200 foot, 300 foot drops. I had to have trust and confidence and faith in that rope that I had. I had to have faith, confidence, and trust in who made the rope, that that rope would hold me. Because when I backed off of that ledge and I'm 200 foot off the ground, either the rope will hold me and I'm going to make it to the bottom or it won't and I'm going to fall and die. But see, I have to walk that out. That's something I have to, it's exemplified by the fact that I'm going to back off of the ledge and I'm going to let the rope do its work. See, people aren't willing to let go and let God do the work because he's the manufacturer. He's the creator. And people aren't willing to let him do the work. They either want to get involved like Sarah did and Hagar. We're going to get into that in a minute. They want to do the work themselves because they're really not showing faith and trust in the one who said he'll do the work. Yes. So I believe it is in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, and it talks about Father Abraham when he said that he was fully persuaded in his heart. Persuaded. That that's, that's, that's faith and belief, because if you're persuaded, you're beyond of a shadow of a doubt that his, what he said, I can rely on that. And he said, he who is faithful um, to his promise. Amen. Faithful to the promise. So our word assurance I'm sorry. In the in the end of this it says they gained approval at the end of this verse. I don't have it here. But at the end of the verse, it says, the men of old, because of their faith, because of their assurance, because of the conviction of what hasn't been seen, what they haven't actually experienced on what's being said, they gained approval. Well, the word gained approval is the, the, the Greek word martyrio, and it means, it's found about eight times in eight contexts with the primary meaning a witness or a testimony. You see, by believing... And walking it out, I now get to be the testimony and the witness that I trusted in the Most High and I walked it out. When I back off that ledge with that rope, I'm now a testimony that I believe that the rope would hold me and it won't snap or break. Some of us aren't letting go. So I'm again showing you this word, pistis, which is for imuna, faith, confidence, belief. I want to give you another example. I had a gentleman approach me about 25 years ago. And he said, uh, I have a car to sell, sell you. The 1977 Ford Thunderbird. And he said, it's like brand new outside and the interior is like brand new. The outside was white, the interior was red. And he said, but the engine doesn't work. The engine's broke. These are going to have to get a new one or rebuild it. I had never done any engine work in my life. And I said, well, what are you asking for? He says, $300. I said, let me go take a look at it. And the outside and the inside was like brand new. Tires, everything was like brand new. But wouldn't run. So I bought it. I get home and I told my wife, I said, you know what? I'm going to rebuild this motor. I went and bought me a book. 
I followed what the book said. At the end of the line, when I was finished and done, I'm so excited. It's now time to crank this thing over and get rolling down the road. I got the hood up. I get behind the wheel. I even painted the engine blue, pretty blue. So nice. It was so pretty. I get behind that wheel. I'm like, what in the world? We'll go back, check the connection, make sure the battery's connected, get back, click, click, click. And I mean, I am just deflated. I am so deflated. I mean, I've done everything by the book that it said to do. And there was a mechanic living next door to me who was a train mechanic working for Ford Motor Company. I mean, trained, I mean, he knows everything inside out, has probably done this. A thousand times, and I walk over, knock on the door, and I said, hey, I hate to bother you, but I said, you've probably noticed I've been rebuilding this motor, and I'm at the point of turning it over, and the thing just doesn't start. Can you give me any tips or an idea? And he goes, let me go take a look at it. Let me ask you a question. Why did I go knock on his door? Huh? Experience. He has something that I didn't have. And I was willing to trust in him because he knew something and things that I didn't know. He had done this before. He had proven that he was efficient at doing that. Trustworthy by the company. Trustworthy by many people who brought the car to him. He goes over, grabs a hold of the distributor, the timing, Turns it 180 degrees, he says, turn the key. Boom. Fires up. He goes, you did everything perfect. You just had the timing, 180 out. He says, it happens a lot of times. He said, I figured that's probably what you'd done. He said, it was amazing what you did because he says, how many does you, have you done? I said, not a one. He goes, it was amazing you were able to do this and get so right on, but you were missing one piece to get the whole thing running. But you know what? I trusted in not me. I ended up having to trust in someone who had the experience. And so God has shown us over and over through the scriptures of what he's done. That's why he said the, the, the things in the scriptures are for us because they show us that he's trustworthy, that he's done this, and that we can depend, on him, depend upon him, that his word is faithful. He does what he says over and over and over again and shows us how many times the people did not believe in him. So you can trust that the car won't leave you stranded if you know the person who built the car or the person who repaired the engine. You can trust them because you know of who and what they are. I know that he's the creator of heaven and earth and that what he says is just and true. So my faithfulness and my belief is firmly rooted in those words. So we have faith that God will do what he's promised to do because we know him and have seen what he's done. Can I get an amen? So this word assurance is this word in Greek, which means support. You guys know this word foundation because it talks about it throughout scripture. A firm foundation. What is the foundation of our faith? It's assurance, 
confidence. I had some confidence that this man was going to be able to fix my problem. I, I was shocked at how fast it was, but I, I had faith and assurance that he was going to do that. The essential or basic structure, nature of an entity, substantial nature, essence, actual being, and reality. And we find it in Hebrews 3.14, which says, For we have become partakers of Messiah, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. What's the beginning? Oh, way back when. Way back when, God speaking, way back when, the promises and the word. A very well-known scholar, Haig, notes this. The first thing we need to get clear is that the word hope is used by the author of Hebrews of that which is certain but not yet possessed. He is not using the word hope that's normally used, uh, el piso, as it is often used in our world, to describe a person's wants and wishes. For the author of Hebrews, and this is true elsewhere in scriptures, one's hope is the settled belief and conviction of what is true and certain and which therefore produces firm assurance that what God has promised to do in the future is as sure as that which is already accomplished in the past. This is why in Hebrews 11, the author, brings the, uh, the, the author brings of proof the actions of the patriarchs and matriarchs, the heroes heroes of our faith. Faith is not some inner feeling that we ratchet up when things of life get difficult. The divine gift of faith brings the settled conviction that God does exist and that he's, his actions in the history of our world from the firm basis upon which we know he will accomplish in the future all that he has promised, both on the worldwide scope as well as with the lives that each of his children are walking and living out. My question to you today is, with that being said, we just read, where is their promise of Yahushua? I'm going to show you something. On Passover every year, there's the cup of sanctification, which comes from Exodus 6.6. 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am Yahuwah, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The cup of deliverance. I will deliver you from their bondage. The cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, the cup of hope. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. These are the things by applying the Lamb's blood on the door that they have assurance and hope that the future Messiah will accomplish all of these things yet to come. Whenever he was here in the first century and when he's coming again, all of those things will take place. Because that's why we're rehearsing it. So remember, this is what God's promised He will do for us through the Messiah, the Redeemer. That's assurance. That's my hope. And yet, the first century people were doing this every year and couldn't see it. No different than the people in the wilderness of our Torah portion had heard and seen the miracles of the Exodus and couldn't believe what God was going to do with just I mean, God wiped out the Amalekites as soon as they first came out of the sea. Still no belief. It's hard to imagine. But I know people are people. It's hard to imagine that maybe some of us would do that. But people are people. Hebrews 3.1 says this, 
Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, the city that's above, a heavenly calling. Consider Yahushua, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all of his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder, the mechanic, the, the guy that's doing it, the one that we can trust of all things is Elohim. Now Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken earlier. But Messiah was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to trust me. They don't have confidence in me because they're not doing what I said. So therefore, they're not going to enter my rest. Take care, brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living Elohim. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have been become partakers of Messiah. If we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. And we can hold firm to the words from the very beginning. There are people that have said, all of those words from Matthew backwards don't really hold much weight. There's no fastness to the words from the beginning. If you can't hold fast to the words from the beginning, how can you hold fast to the words in the other third of the book? Hebrews 4.2 notes that this quality was totally lacking faith in the Israelite people when they first approached the borders of Canaan. Hebrews 4.2 says, For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened, who heard the word. Remember, it's a firm persuasion, a conviction based on hearing. Hearing what? It's hearing the word and the promises. Deuteronomy 31.12 says, Assemble the people, the men and the women and the little ones, and your sojourner who is with you in your gates, so that they may hear, and so that they may learn to fear. Remember, learning to fear is learning to obey the commands. Yahweh your Elohim, and guard to do all the words of this Torah. All the words of the Torah include the commandments and the promises. It's all of it. Everything that's coming out of his mouth. Hebrews 11.1, 1, I'm reminding you, faith is the assurance. For by it the men of old gained approval. They gained a testimony. They gained a witness because they were doing the things the living God said to do when nobody else would. See, you're all testimony. You're all here on Shabbat. Your testimony that you're willing to do the things that no one else in, well, I should say no one else, most of the people in town aren't willing to do. 
So you're a test, you're gaining approval, you're gaining, you're becoming a witness and a testimony because you're keeping and doing the things that he said. But guess what the word promise is in Hebrew? The word debar. Like the word for word. One of these nuances of this word is that of promise, found in four places. Debar refers to the promises of God given to Moses in respect of the land of Canaan. Hmm. Deuteronomy 26, 18 records Yahuwah's promise to bestow on his people the unique privilege of being his special possession. Romans 15, 8 says, For I tell you that Messiah has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Keeps going back to the promises. Just keeps going right back to the promises. Hebrews 6, 10 says, For Elohim is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance. Oh, there's that assurance. Assurance of hope until the end. That firm conviction, that, that, that steadfast belief so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience, inherit the promise. Let's see, we have two of those in our portion today. That's Caleb and Joshua. They held, faith, they held fast to the faith and believed that we, let, let's go kick some tail right now. Let's go stomp somebody into the, into the ground. Let's go pulverize some people. Let's make them non-existent. Let's go in there and take possession of the land. God Almighty said it's mine, and I'm going to go in and take it, and I don't have to worry about falling by the sword. Woo-wee, let's have a thousand of those people with that kind of an attitude. Yes. Just one thing you were saying about the Sabbath, right, for us who are here, which we um, are all familiar with this, but it says in Exodus 30, 31, 13, when the Lord spake to Moses, speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, verily, my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye know, that ye may know that I am the Lord, that doth sanctify you. Ooh, living testimonies. Living testimonies. So um, this whole concept of the word um, that you kind of encourage us to look further into and what uh, my brother here was talking about, the Sabbath is actually a sign. I'm really, I've been pondering lately about... um, how certain words are literal things, like, for example, the tassel. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? So the tassel that Yahusha had, that the woman grabbed hold of, that is her faith now becoming sight because she put her hand on a physical thing. Yes. And then I also think of... Um, what was lo- her hope? To be healed. And because because what's embodied in those tassels? To remember to keep the, the words. The right, right. To keep remember the, to the keep, reminder keep to keep the, the words. So she knew that this is the embodiment of the of the memra. Right. This is the embodiment of the word. Yes. And she said, I'm, I, 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 by the word of God, I, I'm faithfully hoping to be healed. Yeah. So it's like this physical, I mean, yeah, this 
spiritual thing that manifests itself in a physical item. <laughs> Another thing that I was pondering too was Elijah and how he transferred his mantle to Elisha. That was an actual physical thing to me. It represents righteousness. So it was righteousness being transferred from Elijah to Elisha. And then also the robe um, of dignity. It, it is, it's a concept that becomes physical. And for me, um, thinking it in, in terms of that is, is walking by uh, faith and not by sight. Amen. Well said. So Paul says in Romans 1.1, a servant of Messiah Yahushua, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Elohim, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. There's something I want to share with you. There is a consistent motive evident throughout Scripture regarding divine promises. Promises in the Old Testament focus on Yahuwah's intention to grant his people possession of the land of Canaan, which is at the heart of his plan of redemption. This theme is reemphasized in the various stages of progressive covenant relationships by means of the promises given to Moses and David, which follow the pattern of the original guarantee given to Abraham. The New Testament builds on the foundational Old Testament promises given by Elohim. Here the focus is on the fulfillment of those promises in the person and work of Messiah. He consummates the program of God's redemption, ushering in the climactic stage of the outworking of Elohim's kingdom among his people that will include all nations. Such promises will result in the blessing of eternal life in glory for all who follow Messiah and worship him as king in the heavenly kingdom. So they're building upon the foundation of trusting and believing in the promises and the word. The adversary knew that. And if I can get them to get rid of that word, I can get them to completely break down like they did in the wilderness here, where they just don't have faith in what God has said. Hmm. Hebrews 11.3, continuing on in, verse, in chapter 11, By faith we understand that the worlds, the Greek word is ages, were prepared by the word, the promises, so that what is seen was not made out of things which were visible. Hmm. By faith, Abel offered to Elohim a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony, the approval, that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks, because he's a testimony. The testimony of what he did is still speaking to us today. Going on to verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness, the approval, that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. He was living as a testimony. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to Elohim must believe that he is. Isaiah 43.10 says, You're my witnesses, you're my testimony, you're my approval, declares Yahuwah, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you will know and believe me and understand that I am He. You must believe that He is. And He says here in Isaiah, you must understand that I am He. And Yeshua says in John 13.19, From now on I'm telling you before it comes to pass, 
so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. There's a kind of a theme here, isn't it? Polly is watching online and sent this comment. The, this promise was to a physical people about a physical land. Yes. Physical people, physical land. He says, I'm taking you as my own possession. Only until a certain part of time that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to switch it to another group. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to the promises and the word. Man, there's kind of a theme going on here with the patriarchs and matriarchs, isn't it? Going on in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promises. By the way, he goes on to say later that we that now have accepted Yeshua are also now fellow heirs of the promises in the covenant. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is Elohim. Now, do you think he's looking for a different city than Jerusalem or a different people of a different heart? In other words, what's making up the city? What makes up the city? Huh? The people. But you know what was wrong with the city of old? We're going to talk about it here in a minute. The city back of the old, the people were killing the prophets. They weren't listening to when the, when the prophets came and delivered the word. They weren't walking in righteousness. But as you pointed out in that extra biblical literature, that this city of Enoch was so pleasing that that city was taken. Why? Because it's a city. It's not the city. It's the people of righteousness. Because they're believing in the promises. They're believing in the, the word. And so he's looking for the city, the dwelling of people that are going to be a faithful people to everything that God says. Yes. So yeah, like you were saying uh, prior, the, the fire has to be in our hearts to be soldiers <laughs> and to stop, you know, coddling, right? Yep. We got to be soldiers and be fired up. And yep. through his faith, he's going to take us through. Amen. So... Yeah, it's going to be hard. We're going to get beat up a little bit and bruised. But with faith, we're going to get there. And right now, a line's being drawn in the sand. Yeah. Where, where, where are we going to be? Where are we going to stand? Line's being drawn. God's going to test. Where is your faith? Where... Yep. Yep. So where are we going to be as the line's being drawn? Testing is coming. Persecution is coming. Scriptures promise it. We either believe it or we don't. Yes. Is it on? Scripture says, fling therefore not your confidence away <laughs> and hold fast to him. You, you know, when you hear the words of the living God, it's like, man, they just, they just, they just lift you. They lift you. So going on, it says, 
the land of promise in a foreign land, dwelling with tents of Isaac, fellow heirs of the same promise. And Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendant shall be called. He considered that Elohim is able to raise up people from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Now let me ask you a question. He believed that God was able to raise Isaac up from the dead, even if he killed him, so that he would, because he says, I'm gonna, Isaac's going to be in the land. If he kills him here, how's it going to happen? God's got to be able to raise him up from the dead. Which brings me to another point. How's all the other children getting to the land that are in the grave? This is why a resurrection is coming. A resurrection is coming so that all of the children that he said to Abraham are going to come to the land, they're coming. Because God's not a liar. God's faithful and true. And I believe in those words. And there may be people out there that say, oh, well, I don't know this, and come up. Watch out. When people start wavering in faith on what the living God said. They bring up their own agendas, bring up their own invention of, of the doctrine of invented in their own minds instead of what these words say. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. She's trusting in a, she ended up trusting in the promise but didn't for a bit, and we'll talk about that in a second. By faith, this is our prophet portion about Rahab. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. James 2.25 says this about her. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Then people say, well, how, how is this faith? Because she had heard that the God of the, of the heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, had gone before these people and wiped out nation after nation and the miracles that were wrought in Egypt. She had heard by hearing a person what? Believes. She had heard, and she said, that's the king. That God that's with them, he's the one that's faithful. He's the one that's true, and I'm going to trust in him, and I'm going to be there for his people when they come. She didn't say, uh, you know, they're, they've, they've rebelled against him several times, and so they must not be his people. Therefore, I'm not going to help them out because... He's, he's, he's going to reject them. No. She's going to be with the God who's with the people on his side. Romans 9, 7. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Some people say, oh, well, this is talking about physical descendants versus people who believe in Yeshua. I'm going to present this to you. We know that Hagar bore Ishmael. There's one other son other than Isaac. But in Genesis 25, 1, it says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him six other sons. 
So I'm going to present to you that Romans 9, 7 is talking about the other sons of Abraham do not have the promise that Isaac has. They are the sons he's referring to. Not all who are sons of Abraham are descendants according to the promise. Those other seven sons don't have the promise. Only Isaac does. The Redeemer's coming through Isaac is not coming through the other boys. The promised land's coming through Isaac is not coming through the other boys. The promise of redemption is through him. The promise of resurrection is through him. The promise of you coming back to the land is through that son. And the one that comes from him, Messiah Yahushua. Know that that Messiah Yahushua is that descendant coming through Isaac. That he promised Abraham that Redeemer is going to come from you. Only through the promise, Isaac is the promised son. Okay. I'm going to read to you Galatians 4, 19-31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Now when I, I'm saying this flesh, I'm going to show you what Vine's complete expository dictionary says. At the very bottom it says, about 50 times flesh represents the physical aspect of man or animals as contrasted with the spirit, soul, or heart. And so what I'm presenting to you is, is that the word flesh is trying to achieve the promise by my own way. I'm going to try to get the inheritance. I'm going to try to get that son that God promised through my own way. I'm not going to wait on him. I'm going to get it done. And the free woman is the woman that finally ends up saying, you know what? God said it was going to come to me. I'm going to have to trust it's going to happen. Go to work, Abraham. <laughs> We're going to trust in the promise. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to let my own way get in the way anymore. I'm not going to try to accomplish it my own self. I'm going to let it come through me. It's not going to come through some other woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, the son of the free woman according to promise. Now this is an allegory, meaning this is he's speaking in an allegory term here. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, meaning when we try to do things our own way, we're only going to become slaves. But when we go through the promise of God, we're free. We have liberty. We are, we are heirs to something greater. We're looking to the city that's from above, not the city that's failing here on earth, the people that will not obey and walk. But the Jerusalem above, the words, oh, wait, let me finish this here. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. I would say that the present Jerusalem is trusting in your own way, like Hagar. For she is in slavery with her children. So the Jerusalem here is trusting in your own way. But the Jerusalem above, trusting in promises, is free. And she is our mother. She is Sarah, who waited for the promise to come instead of trying to do it her own way. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in travail. For the children of the desolate one are many more than the children of her that is married. Now we, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are the people that are supposed to believe in what he says. But what does Scripture say? And by the way, we are children of the promise. I skipped a piece. 
But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, doing it your own way, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. There's the letter of the law versus the Spirit of the law. So it is now. This is Ishmael and Isaac and unbelieving Israel and believing Israel. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave shall not inherit the son with the free woman. In other words, this city, Jerusalem, the unbelieving people aren't going to be the people that we're going to be looking to. We're looking to the city above, the one that's going to bring in the righteous saints, to bring in the people who are faithful to the promises, that keep his word, that are going to walk in truth and righteousness, that are going to love the poor, the widow, the orphan, the needy. They're going to be holding fast to the words of the living God. That's the people of the city above. Paul speaks of the present Jerusalem as living in slavery because of her rejection of Messiah. The promise, the Messiah, the promise. Then Paul tells all those who know and believe and trust in the living God of Israel and his promise that they are citizens of a second Jerusalem, her children, the ones who believe in the promise. 2 Kings 23:27 says, Yahweh announced, I will also spurn Judah, just as I spurned Israel. I will reject this city that I chose, both Jerusalem and the temple with which I said I will live there. Jeremiah 5.7 says, Yahweh asked, How can I leave you unpunished, Jerusalem? Your people, here's the people now, the city is the people, your people have rejected me. Here in the wilderness, the people rejected God because they didn't believe in what he said, the promises and the word. Your people rejected me and have worshipped gods that are not gods at all. Even though I supplied all their needs, they were like an unfaithful wife to me. They went flocking to the houses of prostitutes. The city above is the one that believes in his word and promises and have not rejected them in their hearts. I found this, and I thought it was amazing. The Qumran Temple Scrolls, found at Qumran, declares this. If there were to be a spy against his people who betrays his people to a foreign nation or causes evil against his people, you shall hang him from a tree and he will die. In their mindset, if you have spoken evil against your brother, those who are in promise, those who believe in the word, those who believe in promise and word, if you speak evil against those brothers, you must be hanged on the tree and put to death. So I say this to you to be careful who you speak evil against. Be careful because you not know who believes in the words of the living God and are walking them out in their heart. You don't know who those people are. Be careful what you speak. Watch our words, who we speak against. Will you stand with me? The words that I revealed to you today really hit me heavy this week. And I was excited to present what the Almighty had laid upon my heart and shown me through the things that I had. He directed me to pull this up and pull that up. It's like, wow, the, 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 it, 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 it truly is about the promises. It truly is about the promises. 
And so when we take our eyes off of Jerusalem, the promises, we have committed the act of Jeroboam and the generation in the wilderness that never reached the promise because they have rejected the words of the living God. See, Jeroboam says, you know what? I'm afraid that, that they're going to attach to Rehoboam. And they're going to go over there and I'm going to lose all the people of the northern kingdom. So I need to set up my own thing over here. God told him, if you'll just be faithful to my words, you will rise up as the exalted house of the two tribes, of the two, house, of the two houses. You will rise up and you will, be, you will be blessed beyond measure. But he didn't believe in the words. It's evident by the fact that he chose different dates and chose a different place for the key people to come and offer their sacrifices. We cannot be a people that are going to take our eyes off of where is Yeshua coming when he comes down and re returns? Is he, is he coming to the U.S.? Uh, it must be coming to Africa. Is he coming to New York City? Is he coming to uh, uh, Cairo, Egypt? There's a city. What's it called? Hmm. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I won't say that on here. <laughs> That's funny. We have to keep our eyes on there and not be the ones to reject his word. Father, we thank you for the words today. How inspiring it is to know that it is your promises. It is your words that you have spoken that we trust and rely on. We hold fast to those things because you are faithful and true, and we can depend. We have assurance that you have said it, and it will come to pass. No questions asked. We choose to be living testimonies and witnesses, having approval in what you've said. Glory be to your name that you're revealing these things to people this day. That I pray that people all over the earth catch on to this truth, that it's your promises and your word that we hold fast to. It hasn't changed. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, it is the same. We glorify you and praise you because you are trustworthy and true. We magnify you in your Son, Yahushua's name. Amen and amen. Now we get to say... Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Remember that guests go first. Shabbat Shalom.